How big is God? How big is God? For many of us, if we're not careful, we put God in a box. And our God is as big as our God box. But what do we do when the needs and the challenges of life get bigger? And they become bigger and larger than our God box. Well, we tend at that point to freak out. We tend to lean on ourselves instead of on the Lord. You see, the greater, the larger that I understand God to be, the more I will look to Him for His sufficiency in my life. And the smaller I understand God to be, the less likely I am to look to His sufficiency and rather look towards my sufficiency. So how big is God? You know, the Lord is going to strategically work in our lives to bring some situations into our lives that are much larger than the box that we put Him in. And the reason for that is that God wants us to understand that He's greater than this and He is greater than this. In fact, He is so great that no matter what we face, He is greater than what it is that we face. But oftentimes we only realize that until we are face to face with the problem and we've got to see is He greater and larger than what we're facing. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, writes to a group of Christians that God is literally knocking the walls out of their box and they've got to find His sufficiency. Not human sufficiency, but God's sufficiency. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. And I invite you, if you will, to follow along with me there. As Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he is thanking them for all of the gifts that they have sent him. In particular, for a gift that they have sent him of late that has been of tremendous help to them. He had had a long-term relationship with the believers at Philippi, a partnership in the gospel he refers to it as being. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, Paul says that this group of believers gave to him out of their need. Now, you'll notice in the message outline that I've given you that there's a basic an equation that Paul says. He says, you guys have been in affliction. You have also then added to that affliction poverty, affliction, and poverty equals abounding in generosity. Affliction and poverty equals abounding in generosity. Now, how in the world do you go from affliction and poverty to abounding in generosity? Well, you only do that when we depend on the Lord. And because they had depended on God, He had taken their affliction, their poverty, and they were able to abound in generosity because of that. Now, in that day and age, in the city of Philippi and throughout the Roman Empire, Stoic philosophy was very popular. And Stoic philosophy taught that you, founded, you found contentment and self-sufficiency. In other words, if I want to find purpose in life and meaning in life and contentment in life, then I look inside myself. You remember the famous phrase, know thyself. And so if you look inside yourself, you will find contentment. And Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, that's not the case. 
You look inside yourself, you're not going to find contentment. But if you look in Christ, you will find contentment. If you look in Jesus, and if you rest in Jesus, and live in Jesus, and lean into Jesus, and then live out of Jesus, you will find contentment. And so that's what he's writing to these folks about. Now, Paul is saying that I have found my sufficiency to be in Jesus. But I want you to realize this. When Paul writes this, he is writing from a jail cell. And in those days, the jails worked very differently than they do now, at least in this country. In those days, if you were in jail, you had to get your own food for yourself. You had to scrounge around and find your own food. It was not provided for you. And so here Paul is sitting in a jail cell knowing that the Roman government is not going to provide him his breakfast, lunch, or dinner. He is going to have to find his meal some other way. And he's saying to them, you know something I've discovered in this jail cell? contained here, having to be dependent on trying to find food for myself, that God is sufficient. And even in this cold jail cell where I am strapped to another Roman soldier and can't even move anywhere without him, I am discovering contentment because my contentment is not in the jail cell, not in the circumstances of my life. My contentment is in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to begin with verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want us to say that verse together. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's say it one more time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I had you repeat that twice for a reason. I'm hoping you're going to start memorizing it. So as you continue in the journey of your life, no matter what you face in life, you can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the next time God shows up in your life, which will probably be this hour or the next, and he says, I got something for you to do, and you want to say, I cannot do it, Lord, then he's going to remind you of that verse, I can do, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And when the next time the Lord shows up in our church and calls us to do something that we don't think we can do, then we will say, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Now, human sufficiency doesn't work. So often we have a false sense in life that we are in control. Our culture would read the verse this way, I can do all things, and then drop it after that. I can do all things. There's a song that's got lyrics. I can go anywhere I want to go. I can do anything that I want to do. I can be whatever I want to be. Our culture is constantly telling us that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. We can do all things on our own. You don't have to live too long to find out that that's a a false notion. We can't get it all done on our own. The idea that we do is, is just a lie. But it's like living in a house or being in a house of mirrors. Have you ever gone to a fair, one of those places that got one of those mirror houses, and you go in there, 
and you stand there, and depending on which mirror you're in front of, you can be really fat, you can be really skinny, um, you can be tall, you can be long, you can be short. I mean, whatever mirror you happen to stand in front of, you can manipulate, and it manipulates the look of your body so that you can be whatever you want to be. So you could just go in there and choose, you know, I want to look skinny, I want to look tall, et cetera, et cetera. If I went in there, I want to look, want to look tall and thin which is the opposite of what I am. So I would go in there and I'd find the mirror that made me look tall and I'd find the mirror that made me look thin and stand in front of that thing. And for a few minutes as I stand there and look at that, I am who I want to be. And a lot of times in life we think if I can just stand in front of the right mirror of life and I can be who I want to be, if I can just sort of control it. But you know, as I would stand there and I'm tall and thin, it looks good and I like that and I have so positioned myself in front of the mirror that I feel like I'm controlling that. But it's an illusion. And sooner or later I have to walk out of the hall and face reality. And when you and I think that we control life and we are sufficient in and of ourselves, it is an illusion. And sooner or later, we have to walk out of the hall of the mirrors that we've got around us. So Paul is saying here, I can do all things, but it's not in and of me. It's because of Christ living in His sufficiency. Now he says, I can do, verse 13, I can do all things. Dependence on God in the front end means we don't have to do damage control on the back end. Let me say that again. Dependence on the Lord on the front end of a situation means that we don't have to run around and do damage control on the back end. The idea of I can do all things means to have stability. He is, Paul is saying I can have stability in my life. I don't have to go through life up one day, down the next, falling to pieces one day, trying to pull it together the next. The Lord can give me stability. Second, it is the idea of having peace of having wholeness in my life. No matter what, he's saying, I can have the peace of God, the wholeness of God, no matter what. Now, when he says here, I can have wholeness, all of us, as we journey through life, are anything but whole. Sin makes sure that we are not whole. And what he's saying here is, God produces and works in us to bring wholeness, so that I live my life and engage life out of the healing work of God inside of me. You see, a lot of times we try to live out of our own brokenness. And that's why we break everything, because <laughs> we're living out of brokenness. He's saying you can live out of inner healing. You can live out of the inner healing work of God in your life. That is that idea there, I can do all things. The final idea in that word is having a vigor in your soul. In other words, I've got energy to live. You know, it's possible, so many people go through life and all they're doing is just sort of dragging themselves through it. Surviving. He's saying, I want to give you an energy a divine energy released inside of you to live. So you got some energy, some enthusiasm for living now. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now notice verse 11. I want you to look back up in this chapter, chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need. And notice the verb. For I have learned... In whatever situation I am 
to be content. I have learned. Learning is a process. It is not instantaneous. And Paul is saying here, I had to go through the process of finding the sufficiency of God. This is a process that God takes us through. Now notice what he says there. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 29, and verses 9 and 10, and I read this last week, Paul outlines what he has been through, the situations that he has been through. And I want to review those situations because this is where he says, I've learned contentment. He said, I was brought low. I've been in poverty. I've been beaten. I've been alone. I've had multiple imprisonments. I was often near death. Three times, he says, I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, I was in the wilderness, I was at sea, I was in danger from false brothers, I had many a sleepless night, I had hunger, I had thirst, I was without food, I was in the cold, I was exposed. And then he says, I got all this anxiety for all the churches. Out of that he says, I have learned in whatever situation, to be content. I know how it is to be brought low, and I know how it is to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So therefore, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is saying, I've been through a lot of junk. It's been tough. And I found the contentment in it. I found the sufficiency of Jesus in it. Can you imagine being shipwrecked and spending 24 hours bobbing up and down in the Mediterranean, dodging whatever sea life is out there, wondering if you're going to live through it, Drinking seawater, not because you want to, but because the waves are forcing it into your nostrils. And yet there's a peace that you've got inside of you. Can you imagine going to jail for the umpteenth time? Paul went to jail so many times that the jailers probably, oh, you're back again, aren't you, Paul? We've heard about you. And yet having peace and having contentment. Whatever the situation. Now, when he says here, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what he is not saying is that I go out and I just look at my life and I say, I want to go to this place, I want to do this, and that God's job now is to come along and bless all my plans and everything I can come up with so I can do all things that I want to do because Jesus is going to show up and bless it and make it happen. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. I can do all things through Christ. That means under Christ's lordship. 
Now, follow me on this. The lordship of Jesus Christ in Paul's life meant that he had to go to prison multiple times because he was a follower of Jesus. The lordship in Paul's life meant that he got to bob up and down in the ocean and play with the sharks and so forth for 24 hours. The Lordship of Christ meant that he was shipwrecked on multiple occasions. And that whole list of stuff that I just went through, that's what the Lordship of Jesus meant in his life. And he said, I can do all of those things through Christ who strengthens me. The reason I want to emphasize that is it is so popular nowadays in books and on television and everywhere else to say, if you decide you're going to follow Jesus, then Jesus is going to be there and he's going to meet every need and he's going to take care of you and life is going to be easy and it's going to be wonderful, etc., etc. We don't have much room in American Christianity anymore for being shipwrecked. For suffering for Jesus, for sacrificing, for going through anything that Paul talks about here. But Paul is saying, when I followed him, and I lived under his lordship, and I lived to honor him and glorify him, this is what I went through. And I found contentment. Folks, the easy life is not the fulfilled life. The obedient life is the fulfilled life. His will will always come with His provision. But His provision does not mean ease. His provision means being empowered to obey. Empowered to obey. Now Paul talks about abounding. And he talks about being in need. And he says, no matter what, I can do it. Through him who strengthens me. When you and I abound, in other words, life's going pretty much the way we hope to, to, we want it to, we got, you know, we got an okay amount of money, maybe we got the kind of car we want, live in the house we want, whatever, but we're doing pretty good materially speaking. We're abounding. The temptation is to get our eyes off the Lord and start looking at the abundance. I've seen over the years believers who, when they were down and out, were looking to Jesus. And when they were up and coming, didn't think they needed Jesus anymore. We live in a culture that tells us if you got stuff, then you are good to go. And we start looking at the stuff. Sometimes the reason God does not bless us materially the way we want to be blessed is because he knows we would worship the blessing instead of the blesser. And he's not going to bring idols into our life. So the next time you and I get in a place of prayer and God's not answering the prayer and we're saying, God, why aren't you showing up and giving me this? God may be saying too, because I know what you're going to do with it. You're going to start worshiping it and serving it and following it instead of me. So I'm not giving it to you. Not till you get under my lordship. And see, abounding, what Paul is saying is here, I know what it is to abound, but keep my eyes on Jesus. I know what it is to prosper and keep my eyes on Jesus. I know what it is to be wearing the kind of clothes I'd really like to wear that are nice and comfortable and look good, but I'm not looking at the clothes and thinking I'm somebody because of my clothes. I know I'm somebody because I belong to Jesus. I know what it is to know when i got some money in the bank Because I know the money probably not going to stay in the bank for very long. But I know what it is to do that. But I know that I don't trust my bank account. I trust the one who owns it all. 
I know what it is, he says, to sit down and have a full plate of food put in front of me. But I don't get all enthusiastic about the food. I get enthusiastic about the one who put the food on the table in the first place. Now, the other side of it is Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be down and out. I know what it is to lose anything, everything and then keep my eyes on Jesus. And folks, when we get down and out, there's two big temptations that we face when life goes haywire on us. The first temptation we face is to just give up. I tried. I gave it everything that I had. And it all blew up in my face. So why bother? Paul's saying, I know what it is to want to give up. But I kept my eyes on Jesus. And that's why I didn't give up. You see, when he was bouncing up and down in the Mediterranean Sea, he looked to the one who made the water. He didn't look at the water. And when you get to bouncing up and down in life, look at the one who made the water. Don't get caught up in looking at the water that you're bouncing up and down in. So our temptation is to just give up. The other temptation is to get bitter. I served the Lord. I was obedient. I'm a good person. I thought I did everything right. And look what I lost. Look what happened to me. Where is God in this? I mean, Paul very easily could have said when he was sitting in prison, where is God in this jail? Where is God in this sea? Where is God in this shipwreck? Where is God in the danger? And he says, in danger of false brothers. Paul knew what it was for people who had come to him and said, I'm your brother in Christ and I'm going to walk with you and turn around and put a knife in his back. And he knew what it was to be betrayed. And he said... God was sufficient then. I didn't get bitter. Follow me on this. If you and I do not discover the sufficiency of God when life goes haywire on us, we will get bitter. There are a lot of believers who are bitter believers. I'm reading a book right now called Replenish. And it's basically about how to just go through life a day at a time and spend time with the Lord. And they had a chapter in there that really caught my attention. Now, I just celebrated my 50th, 58th birthday, so this is one of the reasons it caught my attention. The title of the chapter was, What Kind of Old Man Do You Want to Be? Now, I'm in denial, so I, that's you know long ways off. But ask, what kind of old man do you want to be? And what the the author of the book basically said is, do you want to be some bitter, resentful old man? Or do you want to be an old man who's got the joy of the Lord that people want to be around? What kind of old man do you want to be? Now let me say this to you. I've bumped into people who aren't old, but they're bitter. You don't have to wait till you're 60 to get bitter. You can pull that one off in your 20s. You can put it off as a teenager. Paul is saying, I went through all of this, but I didn't get bitter. I'm not angry with God. I'm not all wrapped up in being angry with other people. I was sharing with the guys at the jail yesterday that years ago when I was in my first pastorate, I went into a hospital ward, Prince William Hospital in Northern Virginia, where I was pastoring at the time in Manassas. And I walked into a hospital room 
And this gentleman was laying in the bed. All the doctors had told him, you're probably not going to make it through the end of the week. Bleeding, he was a mess. And I walked up to his hospital bed and I began to share the Lord with him and encouraging him to trust Christ as his Savior. And he laid in that bed and all he could talk about was some guy years ago had gypped him out of a bunch of money. And he was all mad about that. And he wouldn't receive anything I had to say. And I stood there by his bed and I thought, you're going to probably die this week. However much money you got gypped out of is not worth your eternity. But you are so busy focusing on what somebody did to you, you won't even give Jesus the time of day. That was on Monday. I had his funeral on Friday. And to the best of my knowledge, the man never gave his life to the Lord. Because he's so busy fuming about how somebody had gypped him out of money years ago. Folks, how many of us miss what God has for us because we are so focused on our bitterness and resentment over something else that happened yesterday. I don't care what somebody did. I don't care what they said. It is not worth losing the vision and the experience of Jesus today. It will never be worth it. But so many Christians stop growing in their walk with the Lord because one of Satan's biggest tricks, and every person in here, you're going to face this if you haven't faced it yet in life, is sooner or later you're going to feel like you got betrayed by somebody, you got done in by somebody, and the temptation to turn into bitterness and anger and become a bitter, angry, resentful person is going to be there. And the decision we have to make when that happens is, am I going to focus on the pain? Am I going to focus on the hurt? Or am I going to focus on Jesus? Am I going to let Him heal me? Am I going to find my contentment in Him instead of getting even? And am I going to let Jesus decide what kind of person I become? Or am I going to let the situation, the circumstances, the perpetrator decide what kind of person I'm going to become? He says, I can do all things as I lean in To Jesus. Through Christ. We saw this last week. The title of Christ is the Messiah, the Anointed One of God. Who strengthens me. That is, He empowers me and He coaches me. Now, how do you get at that? Let me give you several ideas. Number one, how do you get at living in Christ? Number one, stay in the Word. Because as you and I stay in the Word of God, we think biblically. We think according to how He's thinking. We think with Him Through a situation. Number two, focus on the good. I don't have time to go into it, but look at when you get home in Philippians 4.8. When he talks about this, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are you thinking about? Because if I think about the good, I'm going to feel the good and I'm going to act the good. If I'm constantly focusing on the bad, then I'm going to think that and I'm going to feel that. power of God and the wisdom of God go together. Focus on the good. And know that the wisdom that you and I need in life comes from Jesus. Colossians 2, 3, and whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now listen to John 2, 24 and 25. Speaking of Jesus, he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. That's basically saying about Jesus. When Jesus walked up to people, 
He looked at them, and he knew them inside and out. What they were thinking, what they were feeling, their life's journey, what they were struggling with, he knew them. When you and I deal with people, we don't know them. And they can drive us nutty because we don't know them. But Jesus does. And let's be honest, all of us at some point in life don't know the person we're looking at in the mirror. Have you ever had the time of looking in the mirror and thinking, I don't have a clue as to who I'm looking at. I thought I knew who I was, I thought I knew who, where I was in life, and I am clueless. And it's okay to be clueless with yourself, because the Lord knows you inside out, and He can explain you to you. In fact, I would trust more what he's going to say to me than what I'm going to say about myself. In fact, some of you, please hear me on this. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And one of the things that Satan loves to do is stand beside us and try to drive us in the ground with lies about us. And if I'm not listening to Jesus, I'm going to believe all the garbage that he's feeding to me. That's why i got to listen to what Jesus says about me. And i got to let... Listen to what Jesus is teaching me and showing me and helping me to discern about someone else. And most of the folks that drive us nuts and give us such a fit deep down in their souls, they're going nuts. That's why they're driving us nuts and everybody around them. And we just hang on to the Lord. He'll show us that. Third, how do we live through Christ? Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to think and do as Jesus does. Now, I want to conclude this message by showing you how this panned out in Jesus' life. How he himself lived in the power of the Father God. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9 and verse 36, Mark 9, 36, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows the crucifixion is coming in just hours. And his prayer is simple and direct. Father, if possible... Let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, your will, not mine, be done. Now notice how the prayer starts. Father, the next day, hanging on the cross, looking eye to eye with people who were stripping him, spitting on him, rejecting him, and cursing him, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, in that one statement, Jesus is turning the page on the temptation to become bitter. Instead of saying, Father, nuke them. Father, take them out. Father, just beat them into shreds right here in front of me. He says, Father, forgive them. I know them, and they don't know what they're doing. At the end of three and a half hours. Father. Into your hands. I take the most important. Precious. Eternal part of who I am. My spirit. And I commend it to you. In utter security for eternity. I commend my spirit to you. Do you notice what comes up in all three of those prayers? Father, Father, 
Give me the strength and I'll do whatever you want me to do. Father, I forgive them. Father, I commend my spirit to you. You see, what Jesus was saying every time he used the term Father is it's God in your strength, Father, in your power, Father, and in your presence with me that I forgive, that I end this life, that I will do whatever you want me to do. That's how Jesus lived out. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And that's how we'll do it. That's how we'll do it. Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus, enable me, empower me to live in the liberation of forgiveness to the person who's lied on me and attacked me and drug my reputation through the mud. Lord, they've torn me up on Facebook They've lied about me in social media, but you're bigger and greater than social media. And your love is deeper and stronger. And you will be the one who will defend me. And Lord, when the end of this life comes, I'm not going to lay there in some hospital bed nervous and scared because into your hands I commend my spirit. I noticed early on as a young pastor, I had some believers in my church that went on to be with the Lord. And I would be with them in the hospital and just before they went on to glory. I'd walk in there and talk with them and pray with them and they couldn't say much back to me. But I was always amazed at a peace that was beyond understanding. I had one lady in my last pastorate. Helen and I went to see her about 24 hours before she passed away. She was like the grandma to our church. We called her Grandma Irene. She taught Good News Bible Club literally up until about a month before she died. We went in there and we, we visited with her and tried to talk to her a little bit. But she kept looking beyond us. She kept looking beyond us while we were talking to her. We went out of the hospital room and Helen looked at me and she said... I think she was seeing something we weren't seeing. She said, I got the impression we were talking to her that she was looking beyond us humans. God was giving her a vision on the other side. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Folks, living with Jesus and living for Jesus is the way to live. It's also the way to die. We don't really die. We just step over into the next adventure he's got for us in glory. Let's pray. Lord, you are sufficient in this life. You are sufficient in the next life. You are sufficient for the journey that we make here. You are sufficient for the journey we will make over to the other side. Jesus, you are sufficient. Help us, Lord, to live in your sufficiency. Not in our own, but Jesus in you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, just a moment as we sing, I want to invite you on his behalf 
to walk through out of this church. I'd love to pray with you about making life's most important decision. And that is to know and to love and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you sense that God is leading you to become a part of our church family, I invite you to come. If you decided to trust Jesus but you need to be baptized and need to become part of a church, this church family, and have us encourage you and bless you, and you just need to take your stand for Jesus, I invite you to come. If the Lord is speaking to you in any other capacity, please respond to Him as He works in your life. If you just need to do business with the Lord as we sing there in the pew, then I invite you to do that. Lord, have your way with us in these moments we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.